listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're finally finishing out chapter 4, and we'll be soon finishing out this little epistle. Uh, we've been in it for, our, this is our 12th week, and so we have about three or four more and then we'll be at Christmas, which is crazy to even think about. I know, you, you better order your stuff on Amazon now because it won't get here in two days probably. So um, let's just be real honest up front. Trials stink, right? Uh, when No one ever says, man, my life is just too easy. What I really need is some conflict. What I really want is some pain. In fact, give me some controversy, some deep loss, some suffering. That's my greatest need right now. I need things to fall apart at work. I need to fail a couple classes just so I can have some fun when I go home at Thanksgiving. No one says that, right? No one says more pain, please. That way I can wear my t-shirt. I have the t-shirt, pain is weakness, leaving the body. I got that t-shirt, right? You know, no pain, no gain. No one wants those things, yet that's, that's part of our reality sometimes, isn't it? I mean, just in our body, just this past week, just this past month, uh, we have people in the hospital. We have people who have lost loved ones this past week. We've had infants with surgery, open heart surgery. We've had people breaking off engagements. We've had people losing jobs, and I could go on and on. Just in this body, it's a part of our reality, Right? And it's at those times when we need to be reminded of Jesus' words. In this world, you will have trial tribulations. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And Peter is writing to basically piggyback on that, that idea that Jesus uh, gives us. Uh, he's been writing for, for four or five chapters now to a group of people he's called exiles. And they're exiles because of their faith in God, now they no longer fit. And because they no longer fit, they're facing all sorts of struggles and trials. And it, it's one of those things where now I'm following Jesus and now, now life is not gone perfectly. And he's, so, he's trying to encourage them to persevere. And he's been talking about suffering and trials a lot, right? He introduced the idea in chapter one. He talked about the necessity of trial. In chapter three, he said, Jesus suffered for being righteous. In chapter four, he said, now you do the same. And today he comes to the kind of the, the apex of his argument, the last time he's going to talk about this topic. And he deals with really the most basic idea for us. How do we just deal with the junk of life, the trials of life? How does the exile handle suffering? How does the exile handle struggles? And that's where he's gonna go and we're gonna look in chapter four, verses 12 through 19. And quite honestly, I am sick and tired of talking about suffering. So I am glad that this is the last time in this book. But he's mentioned it 21 times. 21 times he talks about suffering, struggle, trials in this book. And he, he's been repeating himself over and over and over. And you say, why does he talk so much? Why does he repeat himself? Because Peter knows what we all know, that the key to grasping something is what? Is repetition. Where did he learn that lesson? From the Lord Jesus. How many times did the Lord Jesus teach the same thing over and over and over and over again to those knuckleheaded 12 guys who just couldn't get it the first, second, third, fourth, and 10th time? 
And so Peter says in his second letter, for me to repeat myself is not a problem. In fact, I'm going to do it. As long as I'm here, I'm going to keep repeating myself so that you get these things. Paul says, for me to say the same thing is no trouble at all. In fact, it's a safeguard for you. And so if the Lord Jesus repeats himself and Paul repeats himself and Peter repeats himself, I think it's okay for us to repeat ourselves because the Holy Spirit, for some reason, wants this topic hammered home for us so that we grasp how do we get it. And we get this. We get this in life. If you have kids, you repeat yourself. Sit up at the table. Chew with your mouth closed. Take a shower. Did you wear deodorant? Did you put your deodorant on today? And it's not because we haven't said those things. It's not because that we don't know those things. It's because our child got in the car and we smelled them and said, did you put deodorant on today? Okay, remember tomorrow, all right? He's stirring up their way of reminder. He's like stirring up your, your, your reminder to put on the old spice. Stir up your way of reminder on how to handle trials. Why? Because it's part of life. It's not a part we want, but it's a part that happens, right? And so he's going to give us several reminders again today. And they're reminders. This is nothing new. I'm not going to give you some, wow, never heard that before. These are just reminders for us to stir us up because we forget and we need reminders. Right, you know that you have a nine o'clock meeting every week on Tuesday, but yet you set it on your phone. Why? Because 15 minutes before you, you need to be what? Reminded. And so he's going to remind us. And the challenge of a passage like this is, is not for those in the room that are so happy because right now, if you're a Georgia fan of any type, you have hope. Hope like you've never had before, right? In fact, I would, I would suggest that Jesus may be coming back because you may never see this again. You have hope in such ways. And I pray for your sake and your idolatrous heart that it comes through. I really do because I don't want to have nobody at church come January 10th or, or whatever. But he, he, we, we get this in the times when things are well. Yeah, that makes sense. We understand it when, everything, when everyone's happy and high. When this is challenging is when you're in the middle of it. And probably 50% or more of you that came in this morning are in the middle of it. And my prayer for us is that even though it's, it's tough and things are hard, that you would hear what God has to say to you because this is for you. The Holy Spirit inspired this word for you this morning to hear how to handle things that you just would never choose for yourself, whatever that may be. So let me read the text in its entirety. It's not that long. And uh, we'll unpack it and we'll see some reminders here. Verse 12, we pick up. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so he starts off. He says, beloved. Beloved. 
right? First word. And I think that's a critical word to this text. Those who are dearly loved. Because it's gonna be key to everything he's going to say from here on. How do you handle suffering? How do you handle struggle? How do you handle trial? You understand that you are deeply and profoundly loved by God. You gotta start there. Why is that so important? Because when you're in the middle of it, it is the last thing you are thinking. What you are thinking is if God is sovereign and he is in all control of all things and yet I suffer... And he could stop it at any moment. Then how, pray tell, is God for me? If he could stop all this junk in my life, this sickness, this conflict in my relationships, this this thing at work, this whatever, if he could stop it and he doesn't, how does he then love me? That's where we go. Or we go to the other side, we go to the legalism side. We go to what Job's friends say to him when he's struggling. Well, Job, this is because of you. If you were righteous, if you were good, if you would be X, Y, Z, then this would never happen. And so what we say is, okay, fine, I need to do more Bible study, I need to do more prayer, I need to do more religious action, I need to do, 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 and then maybe God will make things happen well. And that is not, CBC, the gospel. That is not the gospel, right? God did not save us based on how well we performed. And when you were saved, the righteousness of Jesus himself was credited to your account. It was as righteous as Jesus was, that is given to you. And so if you are suffering or struggling, it is not because you are less justified than someone else, right? His love for you is not based on how much you tithe, how much Bible you read, how much you pray, how righteous you are. Because if you're in Christ, you are as righteous as Christ. Other side, that's Baal worship. That's idolatry. I do this for God. He does this for me. That's all it is, is repackaged Baal ministry, right? And so the question you got to ask is, does God the Father love God the Son? Does he love him? And if he does, and we know he does, then as much love as God the Father has for God the Son, you are tethered to Jesus. If you are in Christ, the love that God the Father has for God the Son, you are loved like that. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so what you need to hear, if you're struggling this morning, you need to hear that that financial issue that you're wrestling with is not because God doesn't love you. That health issue that you are just crippled by is not because God does not love you. That wayward child, that relational conflict, that boss who's a jerk, that fill in the blank is not because God's love is waning for you. In fact, the exact opposite is true. That he is working with his divine power to love you as perfectly and as flawlessly and as limitlessly as he possibly can with all his power. That is what God is doing. That's how he feels about you, his church. And so we got to start with just one word. When trials come, what do you do? You know that you are loved, that God loves you perfectly, that God loves you completely, that he God loves you absolutely. That's where you start. But then he continues. He wants to get our perspective changed here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Is there something strange we're happening. Don't be shocked when things fall apart. Do not be taken aback. 
Don't be taken off guard. It is not strange. You know what's strange? When someone's walking their cat on a leash outside, that is strange. That should be like, that's weird. Trials come to your life. That is not weird. That is normal, right? That is normal. But I thought when I followed Christ, I, Jesus became my friend and I get to go live with him forever in heaven. Yes. But you also joined an army. An army that has an enemy that's fighting a battle that has been raging for thousands of years, good versus evil. And before you were a Christian, you were not a threat to that enemy. So you were just off. It's like when we, if, when I don't play basketball with the staff anymore because quite honestly, I'm just not good. But when I did play, no one was like, okay, they got Fowler. We got to put our best defensive guy on Fowler because he's a threat. Now I can run up and down the court all day long and make them look silly, but I'm not going to score. But when Clint walks in the room, they're saying, okay, someone's got to guard Clint because he's a threat. You weren't a threat before you were a follower of Jesus. But once you put your faith in Christ, once you became an exile, once you put, once the spirit of God came to live within you, once you have the, the weapons of warfare of prayer and the word of God and the Holy Spirit, now you're a threat to the enemy and you woke up this morning and you didn't know it maybe, some of you, when you woke up this morning, you had an enemy and he was against you and he's looking to take you down. So he says, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked, right? And so what's the opposite of don't be surprised? It's be ready. It's be ready. It's almost like you're expecting. You got trick-or-treaters coming tonight and you're ready for them, right? I got the candy. I got the this. I got the that. I got the tract. I got the you shouldn't be celebrating Halloween. It should be a harvest party, right? Happy harvest party tonight. <laughs> Whatever. But you're ready. You should be ready. Ready and expectant. Because Jesus was very clear. He didn't hide. It was no false advertisements. Come to me and everything will be perfect. What did he say? They hated me and I was righteous. They hate the master. They're gonna hate you. You wanna follow me? Please come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you yours. You wanna follow me? Please, but know this. You wanna follow me? You have to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. He told us what, what's gonna happen. It was no false advertisement here. I read a little article this week. I don't know how I even found it, but it was on the Pony Express, which was the, basically the Amazon Prime of the 1860s. It only lasted for a year. I didn't realize that. 1860 to 1861. And it was a 10-day mail service from, from basically close to St. Louis to Sacramento, California. It was pretty perilous and, and pretty rough, but it was, you know, ten, it was miraculous until it got put out of business by the Telegraph. But their advertisement for getting new riders said this. Wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. Wages, $25 a week. See, when I apply for that job, I know what I'm getting into. Okay, I get it. All right, it's good money. 25 bucks a week back then was big money. But know this, you could be killed. You, you know what you're getting into. And, that, and that's what Peter's saying. You know, nobody enlists in the military and goes to war and, and then, you know, once the, the guns start firing, they're running back and say, they're firing at me, real bullets. No, you signed up for that. That's what you're, you knew that going in. And so Peter's saying, hey, be ready. Be ready for struggle. 
You don't have to be happy about it. You don't want to want it and desire it, but just be ready for trials. And part of, part of being ready is understanding the why behind trials. Because every, we can all take certain amounts of pain and suffering when there's a point to it, right? When, when there's actually a reason for it and we understand the why, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it bearable, right? But the, when we have pain with no point, when we have suffering, when we feel like there's no purpose to it, that's unbearable. Kidney stones, pain without a point. There's no purpose. There's no reward at the end. It's just silly pain. But, you know, there is pain that we're like, we'll, we'll choose it because there's a, there's a point. So I'll sign up for a race, a half marathon, a marathon, a 5K, a triathlon. Yes, it hurts, but there's a reward at the end. There's a, an, a sense of accomplishment. There's a, there's a medal. There's a whatever, right? There's, some of you do CrossFit. You do burpees until you throw up. Great. You get all involved in that cult-like behavior and do things we have no clue why, but you apparently do, so you do it. There's a point to it. Some of you get a tattoo, mother. Okay, great, you got a tattoo. There's pain, there's a point. Many of you ladies have had children. There's, there's a reward, there's a point where you suffer through that because, of, because you, when you hold that special child, it's worth it. So he, he, there's a reason for trials and suffering. And when you understand the why, it makes it not easy, but bearable. And he gives two reasons in this text, right? Look what he says again. We go back. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? Test you. First reason there's trials and struggles, it's a test. And we've, we've talked about this before, so we're not gonna deep dive, but a test is what? It reveals. Not to God, because God already knows. It reveals to us. Right? If you are only faithful when things are good, what does that test reveal? It reveals that you love the good, but you don't love the giver of the good. Right? You love when things are great, but you don't love the giver of the things that are great. You just love the things that are great. That's what it reveals. Right? Jesus told us, he, he said, he gave a parable, famous parable, the parable of four soils. He said, the sower seed, sows the seed, the word of God, some falls on the road, and then the birds come and take it away and it just never gets anywhere. It just never, it's never received at all, right? It's, it's in, and, I, and that's the, the nature. I know that I pray it's not true, but there's someone here that doesn't matter what I say, how I say it, sow the word and the, and the devil comes and takes it away like the birds because you have a hardened heart. But he says another type of soil. There's the, there's the rocky soil where the sower sows and, and there's a little... Uh, he's talking about this kind of a, a topsoil that underneath it is rocks. And so there's a little bit of soil in it and it starts to grow. That seed starts to grow a little bit and it looks like something's happening. But then the sun comes out and it bakes it and it has no root and it fades away. And Jesus says, this is what that's like. People hear the, the word and they receive it with joy, but then trials come. The heat of life comes and they fall away because there was no root. And, and what it, this test trials reveal is, hey, what do you do when there's heat? What do you do when there's heat? How do you handle it? And do you pass that test, right? And, and it's meant to be an encouragement because when you, when you face a struggle, something you'd never choose and you come through it and you keep your faith, not perfectly, but, you, but you've, you've endured it. You should be encouraged. The Spirit of God really lives within me. He's validating through this test. It's meant to be an encouragement because trials prove you're the real deal. When you can come in here with some of what you're dealing, some of y'all, and you can sing, there's joy in the house of the Lord, or even just listen to it and believe it. 
Man, that's, that's huge. When you can sing, uh, praise the Lord, my mighty warrior. Blessed be the name of the Lord, whatever it is. When you can show up tomorrow, even though you don't want to, and be faithful, I'm telling you, it shows that you are the real deal. And this is why James says, in James 1.12, dealing with it, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Why? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He said, you're blessed when you work through. You receive this promised crown of life. But notice, this is an interesting phrase at the end, which God has promised to those who love him. Here's what intrigues me. He doesn't say God has given me the crown of life which he has promised to those who pass the test. Does he? He says for those who love him. But what he's doing here is he's equating you standing firm with loving God. Because if you can stand firm in the test, it proves that your love is not just for the, for the good, it's for the giver of the good. That you are loving God, which is what it reveals. And so if you're in the middle of something right now, and you're just in the middle of it, and I'm talking to 50% of us, what our response should be is, Lord, help me to show that I'm the real deal and help me to love you in this. Because I don't want this, but I want you. I want you. And this stinks and I wish you'd take it away. You, you, you're in good company if you are praying, God, take this away. Because Jesus said, God, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. So that's the first reason the second reason is, is because it refines us. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, literally the burning trial. There's a refining nature to trial. And we looked at this in chapter one, so again, we won't deep dive it. You can go back and listen to me. But the idea is this. God allows heat in our lives to burn off the dross so that he can skim it off. Just like the, the refiner's fire would heat up the metal, heat up the gold, and, and that, that stuff would come to the top, the impurities, and he could skim it off. Sometimes God removes the things that we find the most comfort and satisfaction in to show that they will never satisfy. Your comfort, your job, your health, these are the things that you live for. These are your little gods. And so he removes that little God so that you see how foolish is my little God. And that you would see, hey, my satisfaction, my joy only can be found in God. And it also, he also will often do it to remove the lies that we believe from the culture that if I just have this, if I just get this, if I just go there, if I can have that, if I can look like that, then I'll be happy. So he removes those to show you, no, 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 those are temporary. Your looks, eventually, it's all going downhill, literally. Your job, gonna be replaced. Your money, it's gonna be spent. Your house, it's gonna get old. Your car, it's gonna break down. All those things. Put your hope somewhere else. And so it refines us because what he wants to see is you can't have a love for the world and a love for God at the same time. You just can't do it. So sometimes he'll remove those things so that you can draw near to him. So there's a refining nature of it. There's a testing nature and that's what we're supposed to be ready for. Doesn't make it easy. No one's saying, yeah, I just enjoy it. No, no, I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is that's the why. And when you know the why, then you can make it through. You can be ready and you can remember, God loves me. He continues, verse 13. But, here's a contrast. You see that word, but, there's a contrast. Rejoice. <laughs> That's fun. It's, it's just one of those, not this, but that. Not surprised, but what? Rejoice. And it's a command. Rejoice. Right? And that's the third way we handle the trials of life. You say, how in the world can I rejoice when I'm struggling with depression? How can I rejoice that I just lost this person? How can I rejoice 
that, that I don't have a job or that I have an inadequate job or that I hate my work or that, fill in the blank. How do I do that? Great question. Didn't say it would be easy. And I'm not saying rejoice about the trial. Again, it's rejoice in the trial. But look what he says. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's what he says, basically. There is a certain level of intimacy that happens in the midst of trial that you really don't experience anywhere else. It's just the reality, right? That you will draw near to God in the middle of struggle and trial and ways, and you'll see him come through in ways that you just don't see when everything's going well. There's a future peace, yes, that you will rejoice when he is revealed, yes, and that we've talked about that, right? You have an inheritance, it's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, yeah, but there is a very real sense of intimacy and closeness to God when you draw near to him in trial that you will not experience anywhere else, and that is why you can rejoice. Look again, look at the language, that you share Christ's sufferings. There's a, you're doing what he was doing thing there. You're what Paul says, filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. You're, you're being there. Look at the end. You are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit in that moment is so near. There is an intimacy that you cannot experience when Paul and Barnabas are singing how great thou art in the pit of the jail. Why would they do that? Because there's something unique about God being in that moment. That he's just not when, we, when we're not needy. And I think, it's not, it's, I think there's a humility piece and a dependence piece. And this is why we don't experience it normally. But it's just what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, when you get taken before kings and princes and governors, don't sweat it, y'all. Don't have some... some you know, speech prepared. You just do it and my spirit's gonna be so with you. He's gonna tell you what to say in that moment and you're gonna blow their minds. And that's exactly what happens every time one of the apostles stands before Felix or Herod or whoever else, that the spirit is so close. We see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. They throw three guys in the fire and old Nebuchadnezzar's up there saying, Do we throw three guys in or four? Because I see four. And one of them is like the son of the angels. Because God is so with them in the fire. Right? That, that's the idea. That, that with Stephen, remember Stephen being stoned, the first martyr in the church? He preaches this great sermon. And they are so mad at him. They are grinding their teeth and they pick up stones and they're, they're gonna smash his brain in. And what is he doing? I see Jesus. Do you, do you see Jesus? He's, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. They're like, we're gonna kill you. Yeah, but do you see him? He's right there. Lord Jesus, He's so near in that moment. And so they start killing him. And all he can say, the worst thing he can say is, don't, don't hold us against them, Father. Forgive them, Father. Jesus, accept my spirit. There's a nearness that you just don't get. Jesus says, I'm gonna send you the comforter. If you're comfortable, you don't need a comforter. When do you need a comforter? When you're wrestling, when you're struggling when it hurts. 
And so you can rejoice, not because this is so fun, so fun, but because God is near. I heard a story this week about um, a couple of Korean missionaries a couple years ago, they got taken in Afghanistan, you probably remember the story, and they killed a bunch of them and they were threatening a bunch of them and, and a bunch of them got out and got freed. And, and what the testimony of one of them was, man, I wish we could go back. I'm like, are you kidding me? AKs in your face every day, seeing your buddy killed, I wish I could. There was such a nearness of God in that moment for them that they just longed to be there again. And I don't understand that. I've never experienced that, not on that level. But that's, that's why you can rejoice. And I have seen this in our church though, when people have suffered severe loss and hurt, and I've seen the peace that surpasses all comprehension. And I'm like, how are you even making it right now? And they don't know. They're just like, God is good. God is near. And that's why he says you can rejoice. This is why the apostles can be whipped and beaten for Jesus and they're limping away, rejoicing that they were worthy to be beaten for his name. And I don't get that and I'm not longing for it, but I know it's real, right? I know that it's real, that you can rejoice and be joyful in the middle of trial because God is there. He's, got, he's there in a special way that we can't fathom, right? And it's because he, Jesus can walk that road with us because he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, right? And that's what he did. And so he says, now you do it. We do it. How do we handle it? We know we're loved. We're not shocked. We're not surprised. We rejoice. He continues, verse 15. Turn the page here. But... Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He gives a caveat, right? Make sure your trials are not because you are a knucklehead. That's what he's saying. Make sure when you're in the middle of it, it's not because of something silly you've done. You can say, oh, I got all these health issues. Oh, being, this is a trial of life. That's because for 25 years you haven't exercised and you ate McDonald's for lunch. It wasn't, it's not, this is not Christian suffering. This is your choices. So, sometimes that's the reality. Uh, I, my boss is writing me this and that and this and that. And he's so mean. It's because I'm a Christian and I have a cross on my desk. No, it's because you keep watching TikTok videos all day long. And you take long lunches and you don't do a good job and they have to second guess your work. I got bad grades in this course because I said something about I'm a Christian. No, you got bad grades because you don't study and turn your work in on time, right? This relationship is just not going the way it should be and I just, you know. Yeah, that's because you're dating a guy in a band and you thought he was the one even though he didn't have a job and he lives with his mom. It has nothing to do with Jesus, it has everything to do with bad choice. He says, here's what he's saying. When there's a trial, there is a place where you check your heart. You check your heart. Is this because of me? What do I, what do I attribute to this? And we do sometimes, let's be honest. We do. Let's own it. We're sinful, okay? It's okay. But we do. He says, don't suffer as a murderer and a thief and an evildoer. You say, well, most of those I'm pretty safe. I'm not a murderer. Okay, maybe not. But are we angry? Is your, do people stay away from you at the office because you're always a hothead? They don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, you're just always angry. Or a thief. You show up late to work. 
You never return the thing you borrowed to your neighbor. You never give a ride to anybody. You always mooch in your this. So people don't call you anymore. It's not because you're a Christian. It's because you're a mooch or an evildoer. Someone who's always stirring it up. Someone's always, there's always controversy around that person. And when they're on that team, when they're in this group, when they're whatever, there's always controversy, right? Or I love the last one, a meddler. I mean, you put that in the list. It's like, who puts that in the list with murderer, thief, evildoer, busybody? A person who's always sticking their nose where they shouldn't, has to give their opinion, has to one up, has to tell you what they think, has to have their way. All right? He says, don't, don't, don't let your, your, your struggles in life be because of those things. Because you're always prying at everyone's affairs. Because you're a Facebook stalker. Right? Check your heart. Just make, make sure your struggles are for the right reason. If they're as a Christian, let them glorify God in that name. And here's what's interesting. Most of us don't realize the word Christian is only found three times in the Bible. You'd think it'd be found more, right? Because we're called Christians, right? It's only three times. Twice in the book of Acts and here. And originally, this term was a derogatory term. It wasn't a positive term. What religion are you? Christian. You know, it was a negative term because in that day, everyone was a follower of essence because you were in an empire of Caesar, right? Caesar was who you were a follower of. And so everyone who followed Caesar was called a Kaiserianos, right? Follower of Caesar, a worshiper of Caesar. And so when the Christians came along and they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord and they wouldn't bow their knee to Caesar, they were called Christianos, followers of Christ. And it was a derogatory term. That's a follower of Christ. That's a Christianos. So that's why he says, don't be ashamed of that name. It may be a derogatory name. You take pride in that name. You glorify God. If you are recognized as a follower of Jesus because your life, that's a good thing. Take Take not pride and arrogance, but glorify God in that name. Because here, here's where he lands this argument. He says, it's our time to suffer. This is our time, right? It's the Goonies. It's our time, right? It's our time to suffer. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. That's us. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And here, here's the argument here. It's, it's a logical argument from lesser or greater. He's alluding to something that happened in, in Ezekiel chapter nine, which is not a book that most of you spend your quiet time in. I get it, all right? You get past that wheel in the sky and you think of journey and then you leave the book, right? Okay, so, but this, in Ezekiel nine, God tells uh, his people, he says, I want you to, I've, I've put marks on the people who are repentant and those who are not, those who are followers of me and those who are not. I want you to start at the tabernacle, at the temple, and I want you to kill everyone who's not repentant. Start at the household of God. Start at the temple and work your way out and take out all the wickedness in my city. And it's an allusion to that. He's saying, judgment starts with us. It's our time. And if we are the beloved of God, the object of his affection, he sends his son for us. We are loved and treasured by God. If God allows suffering and trial in our lives, who are loved, that's our judgment. Then what's gonna happen to those who are not his beloved? He said, the, the idea is this. For the believer, this is as bad as it gets. And it can get bad, but it's not that bad. This is as bad as it gets. And then we have eternity and joy and pleasure and forevermore rejoicing. But for the non-believer, this is as good as it ever is gonna get. They're gonna be the object of God's wrath for all eternity. This is our time, judgment. this is our judgment, it's our little judgment, and it's nothing, 70, 80 years, a little while, as he says. But for them, it's eternal. So that, that's the idea, it's our time. 
to struggle, right? Which, is, which gives us, y'all, a little bit of urgency to the gospel message, doesn't it? It should, right? It should. But the point is this, check your heart. Make sure the suffering that you're going through is not because you're a knucklehead. Be ready, know you're loved, be rejoicing. And then he gives one more point at the end. And this is really the summary, the conclusion of everything. Therefore, and again, I don't even need to say it, do I? You know what to say, right? You know, he's, he's linking back. In light of all I've just said, that you are loved, don't be surprised, rejoice, uh, check your heart, make sure you're suffering for the right reasons. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. That is not a, a popular idea, is it? Think about that. That you are in a trial because of God's will, right? That those who suffer according to God's will, sometimes, no, all the time, if God is allowing this, it's his will. That's, that's, that's hard. But look what he says. You entrust your soul. The word entrust there is a banking term. It's the same idea that when you take your paycheck and you go to the bank, what do you, you deposit it and you put it in there, what, for safekeeping, right? So that no one can get it. It's insured, it's all these things. No one's, it's a, it's a safe place. He says, when you suffer according to God's will, you are entrusting your soul, something more valuable than your paycheck. You are entrusting your soul to a faithful creator. Faithful means he doesn't lie. He does what he says. He will finish what he started. And how do we know he will? Because he's the creator, because he's got the power to back it up. That's why you're entrusting him to the omniscient, omnipotent, almighty God. You're entrusting your soul to a faithful creator, and here's the key phrase, while doing good. While doing good. What's he saying? Know that you're safe, know that God is good, and you keep doing what you're doing. This is the last thing he would say to you. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. If doing good got you into this mess, keep it up. Wait, but I don't want the mess. Keep it up. Keep it up. If you not being willing to cheat the books and, and, and do something that's not above board that your boss is saying and you're getting heat and you're getting threatened for that, keep it up. If you're not slandering your boss and slamming and being disrespectful like everyone else and now you're ostracized and you're not invited to lunch, you're not invited to coffee because everyone thinks, oh, he's just a goody two-shoe, keep it up. If your boyfriend dumps you because you want to honor God with your, with your purity and with your life and you're scared, I don't know if I'll ever get married, I don't get, keep it up. If your parents think you're, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because you're following Jesus, keep it up. If you're willing to forgive and release this person who has wounded you and everybody, your, your girlfriends, your parents, your, everybody are saying, you needed this, you needed that, you needed this, keep it up. That's the idea. Whatever is causing the chaos, if it's righteous, keep doing it because you have faithful creator who will one day, you will, you will receive your reward. So keep on keeping on. That's the idea. Don't stop. Don't stop living for God. Don't stop being righteous. Don't stop doing what he has called you to do, even if there's opposition, even if it's the very reason you are in the middle of the trial, do not stop. That's what he says. Because you will, if you continue to sow, you will reap. Don't grow weary of doing good. You will reap harvest. I shared before, several years now, the story of missionary named John Patton. And I was reading about him this again this week because I've been kind of reading about some of the early church martyrs. And this guy was a stud. You had to read about him. Again, John Patton, one T. And he, uh, 
He felt called to an island, now we call it uh, Vanatua, I think is how you pronounce it, but it was an island in the Pacific, it's just east of Australia, that was discovered in the 15-somethings, and there was basically cannibals and savages on these islands. Uh, And he wanted to take the gospel to them. And the first group of missionaries that went got killed and eaten before they got off the beach. And so he wanted to go. And I'm like, good for him. And and one of the missionary uh, organizations that, that was gonna send him, told him, this guy named Mr. Dixon, said, the cannibals will eat you, John. To which he responded, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours and in the likeness of our risen redeemer. Now that's, that's a stud. And you think, oh, I bet he just was blessed and everything went smooth. He moved to the island, his life constantly in danger. In the first year, his wife died tragically of a fever. 30 days later, his firstborn, his infant, was a month old, died when he got there. That'd be enough for me to quit. I'd be like, they want to eat people? Let them eat people. I'm out. Send me back to England. But he didn't. He stayed for four more years, his life constantly in danger, until finally he did have to flee. Went back to England, raised some more money, got him a new wife. What did he do? He went right back to the island. And 41 years later, the entire island of cannibals and savages were worshipers of Jesus. And it was, you read his story, it was not an easy path. That's a guy that you have to say, keep on, keep it, keep on, keep it on, right? He did. He did. He had that perspective. And hopefully, you know, you're never going to have to get eaten by cannibals, all right? We're not, we're, but the reality is this. There's so many people suffering far more than we are for their faith. But that doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy. We need to keep on keeping on. We need to know that we are loved. Know that you are loved. If you get nothing else out, know that you are loved by God. How much are you loved by God? He sacrificed his son for you. That's how much you are loved. We rejoice because we, we know that there is a God who is near. We're ready and we know there's a point. There is a point. It's a hard point, but God is refining you. He is growing you. He is forming you into the image of his son. Right? He is, he is allowing you to be tested to prove that your faith is real. We search our heart. And then we keep on keeping on. That's what we do. So we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna, if you need prayer, our prayer team would love to pray for you. They'll be in the back hall after the service. Because I know you're struggling, some of you. And that's, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. God knows. And so we'd love to, to care for you in that way, to pray for you in that way to remind you that you were loved by God. Not because of anything you've done, because everything Christ has done. Let me pray, and we'll stand and uh, sing. Father, thank you for the reminders. These aren't new truths. These are ones we just need to be reminded to stir up in our hearts. Thank you that we are loved, that you care enough that you wanna shape us and refine us, and you want our affections to be on you. That we can rejoice. in the midst of of suffering and struggle, uh, that we need to evaluate ourselves and and help us to persevere, to endure. Uh, Just just give us the strength to do that because we feel like quitting sometimes and and that's not what you want. 
And so help us to be faithful because you are faithful and to not doubt your everlasting, perfect love for us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can stand.